0: Welcome to On The Map, taking you into the world of trade, hosted by me, Josie Pagani, for the New Zealand Herald and Newstalk ZB. Depending who you talk to, the Pacific is either one of the most aid-dependent regions in the world, or its countries are on the brink of graduating to develop country status, thanks to new trade deals like Pacer Plus. Tourism is booming, it's true. Fiji Water has found an overseas market and an overseas owner. But not many other Pacific products have followed the success of Fiji water. And on top of that, the region is now a hotspot for global power plays. China, Taiwan, the US, Australia, Japan, Russia, even Israel and India, and of course us, are all vying for influence. The Pacific is suffering donor fatigue, with the number of times we've all refreshed, reset and stepped up the relationship. So to work out where Pacific development is headed, I'm joined by Keawe Woodmore, senior foreign affairs official overseeing Pacer Plus, Peter Farfew, a former trade negotiator and now a partner at Navigator Limited, and Barry Coates, trade campaigner and former Green MP, uh, and and other many other hats that Barry has worn. Kalvi, what will lift more people in the Pacific out of poverty? Aid or trade?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure it's quite a, a binary answer. I mean, I think both are legitimate uh, tools. Um, I mean, certainly trade has its place in terms of jobs and growth and leading to better and more sustainable economic development outcomes. So I
2: think there's certainly room for, for both both in the, in the Pacific.
0: Peter, has, has New Zealand aid in the Pacific worked, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, it all depends on who you talk to. I mean, the Pacific region is what a region of twenty-two million. So you know, there's some great, as you mentioned, great stories of success. But also, there's some the, yeah, there's some question marks around some of the funding that have been going in for, into from governments into into some of these um, Pacific island countries. Um, and you have to look at the d- indicators. Um, I mean, the key indicators are you know poverty, economic development, uh, basic education, health. Again, you know, Barry probably can answer this, but I don't think they've improved a lot in the last 50 years. So, whether they've been focused distribution of of that support, uh, probably the answer is uh, need to do better. Um, whether it's worked, again, it's a, quite a broad. Um, it's a broad answer, but I would probably say that what's missing from my perspective is the underpinnings of, um, that, that needs to go in under trade and aid. For example, human rights. There's a massive domestic violence issue, um, across the Pacific, particularly in Papua. Gender, um, gender equality, um, is non-existence. You've got, you know, diverse, uh, democracies and, uh, and, um, and civil society is, um, in terms of their space is shrinking within, within parts of the Pacific as well. So the underpinnings haven't been there. Um, so, how to do the other things the the, the nice nice to have when you don't have the basics right
0: so governance matters to growth in the Pacific and development right Barry
2: yeah yeah
3: yeah and governance also matters in the aid and uh, aid and trade as well mm-hmm. you know I think the question you know whether whether aid or or trade it's kind of in a way neither you know. Whether the Pacific develops is going to be up to the Pacific people, mm. and, and particularly whether they get a chance to develop their own path and their own kind of of, uh, of ways of of making making a living in the world. Um, but very often, aid is given for political reasons, not for the benefits of of the people in the Pacific. Um, and trade agreements it, are often. Would you say
0: that of New Zealand? You, you think that's true of New Zealand?
3: Uh, some some New Zealand aid gets caught up in, in politics. Yes, that, that that is undoubtedly true from from the past, and uh, you know you tend to make a distinction between the government to government aid, which can be subject to kind of political distortions, and much of the community based aid, which mm-hmm. tends to be much more grounded and much more community led.
0: Calvi, do you do you agree with that? That aid has been used politically rather than economically. In the Pacific? I
1: think think if you're looking how we're doing it now through the the Pacific Reset, that's more than just a a label, as you were referring to before. I mean, how we do it's really important, and and that principle of partnership is um, very much front of mind for us. So irrespective of what may or may not have happened in the past, I think how we do this in the future is really important. For us, working uh, with the Pacific, co-creating is really important.
0: So we've got about, I think, about 300 million a year of New Zealand official Aid going into the Pacific, and about twenty percent of that is going towards aid for trade. Yeah. what's that actually doing?
1: Yeah, that's not an area I'm, I'm across uh, because I'm a trade official. Um, but I think when we look at Pacer Plus and what it, it can do, I mean it's quite exciting. I mean, because under Pacer Plus, we're looking at roughly you know seven hundred and forty million dollars that's going to be able to go into delivering on Pacer Plus type type outcomes in, in the Pacific. And what that will actually do will really depend on what the Pacific wants. And we know we, we need to have a conversation with them. So we need to get away from this this idea as, as us as donors and kind of determining uh, for the Pacific. It's more about, you know, what do they want and how do we work with them to deliver that? And you have to Pretty differentiate like between
2: what Pacific p- political leaders want. And what, as Barry says, communities want. What are the real needs and aspirations of these communities within these countries? Because I tell you, I mean, I've been to, I mean, I was in the Solomons in, in April for the elections, uh, um, and, uh, you know, it's different what they want out on, out on the islands and down in the communities from what political leaders want. Um, so it's, we actually have to have the right conversations with the right people. And then that is how you're going to get the how, not, not through, uh, the, the only channel being political to political.
0: So that's the problem yeah. is that you've got if you've got countries where there is very little democratic process in terms of capturing local voices there might not be local government Tonga there's no local government you know how are you capturing those local voices to say this is what we want out of Pacer plus this is what we want out of
3: a trade deal Well ideally what you ought to do is you ought to start listening to to what the communities themselves say through their own political processes through through their own community plan. I mean, you asked about aid for trade, and I think it's a, it's a kind of really contentious issue. You know, at the time the Pacer Plus was being negotiated, the proposal came up to, to have 20% of, of the aid budget to go for aid for trade. Now, that wasn't new money. That was coming out of the aid budget. So instead of being spent on healthcare or education or mm-hmm. community development, it was being diverted to this aid for trade thing, which often has been in the past dominated by the aid givers. Wishes. And it often goes for the formal economy. And most people in the Pacific do not operate in the formal economy. They don't necessarily operate in established businesses. They're in subsistence farming. They're in small business in the informal sector. Mm. They're outside of those networks. Isn't that that
0: exactly what a trade deal like PACER Plus mm. is trying to change so that you're actually shifting the tax take from, from tariffs to taxing more formally the informal uh, uh, economy in Pacific Islands, and that's no, a good thing. No, I mean thing, stu- isn't it? studies
3: from the IMF say say that when you enter into those free trade deals. Actually, the revenue and you remove tariffs, you remove a source of revenue and the, and that revenue is never fully replaced. And so what we're seeing is budget pressures in most of the Pacific Island countries exactly at a time that they've got burgeoning populations who've got all sorts of problems mm-hmm. of obesity, of diabetes and, and let alone climate change and other things. So, so, you know, the, the aid for trade is, is, is problematic. You know, so the, it, the countries, the countries that were thinking of not signing up, to Pacer Plus, then we're told, well, you know, the aid for trade provisions are for the countries that do sign up. So let's, and let's it becomes bring, a real lever to yeah. get Pacific Let, countries to bring, sign on um, to an agreement that they may that they may see very little benefit from.
0: Let's bring KRV in here because, as I understand it, there was about $55 million additional in Pacer Plus to actually address that short-term revenue loss from tariffs and and to help uh, the economy shift from getting that revenue from tariffs and getting it from other sources, which is actually a better thing, right? Is that right?
1: So we're already doing a lot of work uh, around helping them shift their, their revenue base under the, the revenue... Uh, sorry under the readiness package, um, we're already assisting a number of the signatories to, to look at this this kind of area. I do have to kind of point out that in terms of uh, the shift and what's happening to tariffs, I mean, we're talking about tariff reductions over 35 years in some cases. So, you know, that's effectively two generations. So it's not going to be a sudden or a, or a massive change. I mean, it's something uh, that's going to be allowed to, to be adjusted to and shifted over, over time. And as you're saying, Josie, it's about shifting to a new a new normal. and, and uh, and tariff revenue is not necessarily a sustainable way to
2: be doing this. Yeah, but if, I guess that was it connects to the point I made earlier that, yeah, if it's going to take 35... Thirty-five years. Again, it's about getting the underpinnings of of, yeah. of of all of this right. You know, it's good governance, human rights, and all and Absolutely. all those, and particularly second generation rights as well. You know, and to, and and you can add climate change mitigation to that. So, you've got thirty-five years, but in, in the scheme of 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 some of these, the history of some of these countries, particularly those who were colonized and still colonized um, up in the North Pacific, thirty-five years is is is, is, not, is not enough time to to change the system and align the system to 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 to, to, to where the the parties such as New Zealand want the system to go to
0: so presumably this is where the aid and trade stuff aligns where you've got aid going into whether it's through NGOs whether it's through government to government but dealing with some of the issues around human rights around education health and so on and you've got a deal like Pacer Plus is is Pacer Plus a, a development deal or a trade deal to you?
2: Well, I think it's, I mean, it's a hybrid, but I I, th- I think, I think even in the language that our politicians use around sensitive areas such as human rights and good governance, they're not sensitive areas. They're, they're areas that in normal, decent society that we regard as, as, as the pillars of, of, of a society. Now, it, it, we call that sensitive areas, and this is the point that I think that, that I've made on numerous occasions to, 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 to politicians, uh, uh, that, it's a it's a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Uh, um, so, and we can't ha- we can't deal with the other issues if we don't have those conversations about corruption around uh, around good governance, around human rights, gender um, inequality, etc. We you can't move forward without getting those big issues right.
0: Barry, of Plus, a trade deal or a development deal for
2: yeah, you? A completely a trade deal. I'm, I'm
3: afraid. You know, as as uh, head of Oxfam at the time of of much of the of Plus negotiations. And, um, it became clear that, that the rhetoric was around the agreement being for the benefit of the Pacific. But when the Pacific proposed particular things that would be for their benefit, actually they weren't then allowed to be part of the negotiation. So an expansion of the RSE seasonal labour scheme, which is really for the benefit of the Pacific and, mm. and being able to make forward commitments on that was not included as part of the deal. Uh, an increase in aid to provide for aid for trade, etc., was not part of the deal and ended up being a diversion of aid rather than new money on the table. The the issues of, of kind of providing support for the Pacific to develop their own industries and be able to, to develop their small business for the future that didn't become part of, of Pacer Plus. And, and, you know, a number of these areas are unfortunately kind of... They, they, they were in there in, in for the form of proposals, and, and uh, um, they were kind of viable, but the Pacific wasn't listened to. in the So why ultimately, have 11
0: Pacific countries signed up to it if there's nothing in it for them?
3: Well, you know, some of the biggest countries haven't, like Papua New Guinea. So, so the, you're talking about a, an agreement... Um, that so that's has one
0: in Fiji, but and I've heard they're thinking well, P- of signing
3: PNG, up. PNG and, and Fiji account for over eighty percent of the Pacific's population, and, and having an agreement that cuts right across Pacific unity, I think, is not right. The, the Pacific themselves have a number of agreements already that they had negotiated as a Pacific community. Now you're having an agreement that actually divides the Pacific countries and say some are in, some are out. Mm. And that's not a a good outcome for for the Pacific Union. so let's
0: unpick a little bit of that. So the the recognised seasonal employer scheme, which you're right, is hugely beneficial to the Pacific. In fact, let's face it, remittances are are bigger than the aid budget to the Mm. Pacific, and, and that's seasonal workers and others sending money back and diaspora and so on. Is it true, KLV, um, that the RSC scheme, the, the recognised seasonal employer scheme, I thought it had been extended under PACER Plus from horticulture and fruit to carpentry and, and other areas. Is that not the case?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think when we talk about um, different kind of issues, we, we put them in different kind of instruments. So there's the, the broad trade agreement, which is known as PACER Plus, but then there's also a thing called this labour mobility arrangement, which sits alongside it. And that's the instrument that talks about uh, schemes like the, the RSE and it has been extended as, as you've um, suggested.
0: Let's have a look at, at some other things. If the, the 55 million that's kind of there to support the Pacific countries who've signed up to pay surplus, get up to speed, get the, the, the technical support to get common legislation, common standards, is is that, um, is that being used to address some of the things that, that Barry mentioned in terms of supporting Pacific industries and infant industries?
1: Yeah, so the immediate focus um, under what's known as the readiness package is about what are the kind of things through the Pacific signatories, so those are the, the nine Pacific countries that, that did sign uh, PACE Plus, so it's focused on what do they actually need to do in order to be able to ratify the agreement, um, and that's been as, as broad-ranging as uh, doing a review of the legislation, working out what they need to change to, to bring it into to alignment um, to very simple things like setting up new trade portals which outlines what are their their trading requirements so it's much more transparent and open um, and enabling for, for people wanting to trade into to the market. So that works going, going really well. Uh, it's also helped fund uh, community consultations, uh, for example. It's it's quite quite broad-ranging.
0: Isn't it a good thing, Barry, that, that, that the Pacific is able to get its products to scale up its products, get to mar- bigger markets? In essence, in principle, is that a good thing?
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great. You know, I, I wish there was kind of new money going into this as opposed to, as you know, the, uh, aid budget to the Pacific over a period of time has been going down as a proportion of GNP rather or GDP rather than kind of increasing our support to the Pacific. Increased in fact, in mm-hmm. fact, you know, over a long period of time, it's gone down quite dramatically. And, so, so yes by all means but but you've got to remember that there are other priorities for the pacific countries as well and to be taking money away from health and education and other sectors and put it to kind of the mechanism of sort of implementing a trade deal calls into question as to who really is benefiting from I don't think
0: you can say there's no new money Barry because because the I mean the government announced Winston Peters announced last year a, a, an, an increase of 700 million over three years. I mean, there's about there's over a billion dollars going into the Pacific now. And we have gone up to, it's not much, but it's up from, I think, 0.23 to 0.28 of, of um, sure. GNI. So it's la- gone up The last time
3: Labour was in government, their plan was to take it up to 0.35. Sure, 5. but you so can't we're say way, no new money. We're way be- well, there has been over a period of time. Over the time that PACEA Plus was negotiated, the amount of aid mm. was actually falling. And so you can't say that there's new money. I mean, now it's great that New Zealand is is starting to to be more generous, to, to re-engage with the Pacific. I think that's fantastic. But actually, you know, the trade deal itself, you know, if you look at, at what really would have been for the benefit of the Pacific, Pacific and what the Pacific actually was negotiating for, those key issues were not included in the in the negotiations. So
0: let's re- hear what it says. It says, land. this is what... Uh, the government says about PACER Plus landmark trade and development agreement that will raise living standards, create jobs increase exports in Pacific Island countries That's good, isn't
3: it? Sure, everyone says that about the trade agreements, Tracy. But the problem is that that when you come back to them later on, what you often find is that they're to the benefit of the rich and powerful nations that have just opened up the borders of the countries that they've agreed trade negotiations with. You know, everyone sort of wants to say this is kind of wonderful and so on. That's the way they justify it.
2: But actually, Peter, what do you think? I mean, mean, if we we go back to the basics, the challenge is. Nearly 3 million Pacific Islanders in the Pacific region don't have an income to sustain basic needs, right? That's fact. 2.8 something million, right? Um, I think it's an Oxfam report. So that's the challenge that we have, um, uh, particularly New Zealand has with the Pacific region. Now, then it's back to to a question of how. Now, I mean, we can again have a conversation about whether trade or aid, but I think everything needs to be the tool within the toolbox with which, with which we need to engage the Pacific. Now, I, as a former trade negotiator, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, in theory, I'm a strong believer in it, but having been away from the MFAT system and worked on the ground, I, I've come to question, um, um, um uh, some of the approaches made. Uh, um, particularly when you don't have the real needs and aspirations of communities, um, and we've learned this in New Zealand the last forty years with our with, with our treaty partner. If you don't have the real needs and aspirations of communities at the heart of what you're of the how, then you're going to find it later down the track very difficult to overcome. And a perfect example of that Ma, Ma, Mato out of uh, the protest out in Mangere. I mean, that's forty years. They could have dealt with this a long time ago, and now you've got all parties who are unable to 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 work it out.
0: That's a whole other pogrom.
2: That's a whole other pogrom.
0: So, so (laughs) just to pick up on what Barry was saying, how is Pesa Plus a development agreement as well as a trade deal? This hybrid thing. How would you answer Barry on that? Yeah, I guess
1: there are two things. There's one was in the way in which we approached the negotiations. So we didn't approach it in our 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 usual way. We very very much approached it as, as something that was for our region and with a different set of partners and that was including in terms of how we approach things like tariff liberalisation, how much was covered, uh, the length of the phasings, as well as what was the, the issues that they wanted to include and didn't want to include. So there are some uh, areas which we would normally include uh, in agreements such as government procurement which was not covered in, 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 in PACER+. How was it a, a trade and development agreement? It's, it's effectively our only second agreement that actually has a dedicated uh, economic cooperation program. This one's actually called a development and economic cooperation program. So that's roughly twenty-six million dollars over five years, which is dedicated to more regional type uh, initiatives under under Pace Plus. Yeah.
0: And what new is- new money, new money.
1: That's absolutely new money. You've also got, as we were discussing before, irrespective of what you think of it, the seven hundred forty million dollars for or A for trade. I mean, the other thing, I um, point I'd make, pick, maybe picking up some of what Peter's saying is one of the things we're working on at the moment is is around monitoring and evaluation. So what are the kind of things that we're going to be need to be tracking as we implement um, Pacer Plus? What are the indicators that we need to be aware of? So that's not just about telling good stories. It's about... Uh, Finding out what's the good, the bad, and ugly. So, where do we need to make policy interventions? Where do we need to make course corrections as we implement this agreement uh, and do our cooperation type activities? So
2: and again, it's about this. Really s- important. It's about the system aligning as well. So, we're talking yeah. about New Zealand's um, support within the region, but Australia's got to step up. Or whatever they call them, Indonesians. <laughs> indonesians. <laughs> like are, dance are, moves. It's like it's like a dance movie. In um, Indonesians have come up with theirs. The Americans, you know, China, no doubt, will come out with theirs soon. Taiwan. So it's, it's this. You've got this geopolitical, um, um, competition occurring. So, but there must be, if you really did think of the needs and aspirations of, of Pacific region, then there should be some alignment. And, and again, I'm not, no longer in the bowels of, 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 of MFAT, but I, I would presume there'll be close conversations with their colleagues from DFAT, from others, in which whatever support you're going into the region, it's coordinated, uh, particularly, Absolutely. particularly in some countries on the ground where it's so diverse, there's such diverse stakeholders, um, um, and, um things fall through the gap, through the gaps or through the cracks. And that's how you get, you know, corruption issues and, yeah. and, and issues like that.
3: That's absolutely true. You know, and, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things when we think about trade agreements, not to confuse whether we want trade. Or whether we want a particular trade agreement. I desperately want trade for the Pacific. I, you know, when I was head of Oxfam for 11 years, we, we tried to promote trade for, for small business and processing of agriculture and so on, ways that would really help small farmers. Um, but, but, you know, if you look at PACER Plus, if you really wanted to bend the, the Pacific, why didn't you have in there a requirement for, for Australia, for example, to stop their protectionism that stops fruit and veggies from being exported from the Pacific to Australia, it's meant to be a free trade agreement. Australia is the worst offender, and so you know, and you know, the export of carver, for example, into Australia for spurious reasons. So you know, these are the kind of things that make it very much a one-way deal. Well, Australia, Australia, Australia is the one who is able to get the just, Pacific just to open market, up their, their market.
0: To explain, to explain more, what what's wrong with exporting carver and fruits to the to Australia? It Pacific? doesn't
3: happen. Oh, I see. You're saying it doesn't happen. The Pacific, happen. the Pacific wants to export fruit and vegetables and carver to Australia, but it's blocked. You right. know, if so Australia d- is, is producing those products, then the Pacific can't. Does Pacer
0: Plus help with
3: that? No, it, it's it, irrelevant.
1: It, it, will, it will help. It will help with that. I mean, I mean, but first we need to uh, acknowledge, Barry, that uh, countries are and must be able to protect their their biosecurity. We must be able to protect our human, animal, and plant life populations. I mean, we don't want something coming into our country that might affect the the kiwi, for example, or or some of our really important native uh, flora and and fauna. So that's really important that that is preserved. The agreement does that. But it also provides uh, systems and tools for us to work on those specific access issues that the Pacific has and work out what's in the way of them. So are they things that we can overcome? or are uh, we better looking at other kind of products of interest that would be, be more successful um, in terms of this? So
0: what program. you're saying is, in fact, that the reason Australia isn't allowing the carver in and the fruit and veg from the Pacific is biosecurity issues, and...
1: I'm, I'm talking more generally. I mean, yeah. some of these issues are around biosecurity, around food safety, about um, protecting your human uh, populations from different kind of harm. I'm, I'm not talking specifically about carv. I'm just talking more in general in terms of... Yeah, I think
3: part one. of the problem, Kiawe, is, is that... Yeah, you know, when you have agreements like this, um, you find that the Pacific countries take on the binding obligations to open up their markets to Australia and, and New Zealand exports. But when it comes to the reverse, there are there are just very generalised provisions around those pathways and and not the obligations on Australia and New Zealand. So I think you know you 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 tend to get these agreements being very unbalanced and and for the Pacific, you know, I, I really they started out the PACER Plus negotiations with a with a list of things that they wanted to see that would create real benefits for the Pacific. And um, most of those were were not actually included. But 9 in the countries negotiations. have signed
0: up so presumably there was enough in terms
3: would, of weighing would, the costs and do, benefits. Josie, it's
0: really difficult. You're imposing your views on them. If they've gone, actually, we're, prepared, we're taking the, the costs and the benefits, right. we've weighed it up, we're signing up. Sure, but, but if you take 20%
3: of the aid that. budget and you say, we're going to reserve 20% of the aid budget for aid and trade, and that goes to the countries that have signed up, then what kind of incentive but is that? there's new money.
0: Calvi just said it's, it's, there's new
3: money. But you know the, the the envelope for aid has been decreasing. It's not new money. But it's, it's not, gone up. Well, That's well right. after <laughs> the <laughs> negotiation... Quick, a few so quick questions
0: to, to, before we end, because I'm curious, because sometimes the narrative around mm. deals like Pay Plus implies exports good, imports bad. But actually... Aren't we denying the fact that for consumers in the Pacific, a deal like Pace Plus lowers the cost if you remove tariffs of, of imports? That's a good thing. And for businesses that need products and bits and bobs to, to set up their business, that's a good thing too. This, the, there are benefits yes. for imports as well, But, the there? Key,
2: yeah, and but and also the key, the key thing, and Calve would know this, the key thing for trade agreements now you know, current trade agreements is the ability, is, is, as you said, capacity, but also, you know, the, inv- the readiness packages. But secondly, what are the enablers within the agreements as well? It's nice to, you know, Taos, uh, you know, is one thing, but this is second, third generation type negotiations where what are the enablers for local economies to, and Barry mentioned it, Carver mentioned it as well around small business enterprises. Leadership is a big thing in the Pacific, right? How do you, uh, how, you know, you can't deal with it within a trade agreement, but, but through the negotiations, trying to find those senior officials who are going to be part of other trade agreements down the line how do you prepare them for that so it's the enablers that, 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 that come to mind when it comes to trade agreements current trade agreements anyway
0: last last question uh does the pacific need an eu type pacific union model to really develop australia comes in new zealand comes in we're a pacific union we're in it together would you support that
2: uh no, because I've I'm a I am too everything I do, right, I like returning to basics, right? And again, if the Pacific countries can't get their act together on real, real hard issues that we have. I mean fifty two percent of women in in Papua New Guinea face domestic violence. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're interlinked human rights issues. So equality is now a gender issue. Climate change is now a human rights issue. So but
0: Peter, if- just to interrupt, would you not say then if you if you're in the EU, you have to have human rights standards, uh, labour standards. You have to sign up to democratic processes and have good institutions. That's one of the benefits of the EU model. Well, we get, isn't we get it? that
2: with current structures. We get, we get, we apparently we're meant to get it with PIF, with the form, right? How's and that no, going? And, and how's that going? <laughs> apparently ASEAN's meant to have the same for, you know, in the last 60 years. How's that going? So EU structures is just what it is. It's a structure.
0: Barry, that, would you support a, a Pacific Union model, an EU model?
2: Um, so, I think I'd prefer
3: that the Pacific Islands themselves had had a stronger um, kind of um, federation because, I mean, as soon as Australia and New Zealand get into a, a kind of federation model, their interests tend to dominate. As, Are you saying we Germany seen,
0: to their Greece?
3: As we've seen in, no, a little bit worse than that, They're, the United States to... to, uh, But anyway, the... the, the uh, to everybody. <laughs> the, Pacific, the Pacific Islands Forum has, has had these debates for a, for a long time as to whether it would uh, play a more active regional role. This is nothing new and papers have been written on it and so on. Uh, I think ultimately there isn't enough trust there. And particularly, trust in Australia and New Zealand not to dominate and and there have been kind of periods of that um, i would I would really like to see greater cooperation amongst the Pacific island countries themselves um, around trade around human rights around those kind of issues because ultimately they have the the uh, uh, the kind of greater compatibility uh, amongst themselves in terms of what they they look at. You may also need to look more closely at, at sub-regional groups like the Melanesian Spearhead mm. Group, like a Polynesian grouping, a Micronesian grouping because again you've got greater commonality within those groupings okay, than I an think.
2: artificial... But also I think yeah. we're missing, the, I, I think New Zealand's missing a trick when it comes to our diaspora. We've got 310,000 yeah. know, Pacific yeah, yeah. Island diaspora here and the fact we're not yeah. leveraging it, I mean we've got some who are in such important roles from the Reserve Bank Governor to Governance roles, you know I was CEO of a crown company. I wasn't born here, right? This was my country of aspiration. There are people coming through the ranks and um, who are mainstream at the moment. But how do you leverage the fact that they've come through our system in order to support them? Not officials, but these are people in other parts of, of, or sectors of our society. How do you leverage the diaspora here? Yeah, particularly well when 67% mm. of our diaspora are under the age of uh, 25 and 69% of our diaspora live in Auckland.
0: KLV, anything on that? And do you support the idea of a Pacific Union? It's an idea that's been around for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I I think the Pacific story has to be written by the Pacific and has to be something that fits our own region's unique characteristics. I I don't think you can transplant uh, somebody else's uh, model into the region.
0: Fair enough. I've been talking to uh, KRV Woodmore from MFAT, Peter Faafew from uh, Navigator Limited, and Barry Coates, a trade campaigner and former Green MP. And if you want to send any comments in or ask any questions, please get in touch uh, via email Pagani or one word, at gmail.com, or you can contact me at at Josie Pagani on Twitter. Hosted and produced by me, Josie Pagani. Audio engineered by James Irwin. Technical support by Jason Pine. Executive producer, Francis Cook. Editor, Andrew Laxon. Made with the support from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade.